morning, ladies and gentlemen. The agenda of the program is going to be something like this. I thought Mr. Guguli would share that. Next, about 45 minutes or so, roughly, I'll be sharing certain insights on leadership. After that, we'll have a placebo meditation in terms of whatever you know on what meditation is. After which, we'll walk you through a relaxation process. And then, we will introduce you to heartfulness meditation, which has a very specific component in what called as transmission of pranayama. It's an experiential session, I mean, in terms of what happens during the meditation. So, take your time to observe what happens. And during the time, the entire process might take about one hour to two hours max. I hope we have that time frame for us to manage today. Are we all on the same page? One of the recent books I wrote, which got released uh, last year, was titled Future Proof Your Business. In the prelude to the book, I had started off with a story which involves a lion and a deer in a forest. When it wakes up in the morning, the lion has to run at its fastest best for it to catch a prey for the day so that it can survive. And at the same time, there is a deer which wakes up in the morning. And it has to run faster than the lion for it to survive at the end of the day. The substance of the story, if you really look, apparently animalistic behavior. The entire thing boils down to survival. Am I right? If the lion doesn't have its prey or its foot, it's not going to survive. The deer, if it doesn't beat the lion in its uh, chase, it's not going to survive either. Then when I was thinking about what I'm going to talk here for the last two days, I've just drawn a parallel between this beautiful animalistic based story to what we do in human uh, level. What do we actually do in corporates? Is there a difference between this story and us? If you have to convert the lion into the office environment, who the lion would be? Who the line be? Your boss. Your boss? Wonderful. <laughs> 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 Who is the dear? Sorry. Everyone in the room are lines. <laughs> That's what we think. <laughs> okay. Who are the dears? <clears throat> Who are the dears? The Sorry? The in a sense, yes. The so called uh, subordinates of the people who are reporting to you are the dears. And what is this survival instinct parallel when it comes to organizational context? Target. Sorry? Target. Targets, okay, good. Then performance pressures, productivity pressures, results, <coughs> quarter to quarter. I mean, I have read reports way back in the 1980s and 90s when uh, even the most successful corporate CEOs in the Fortune 100 companies, even after about nine quarters of back-to-back -back results, on the tenth quarter they fail and they are out of their job. As simple as that. Okay, now let's link it back to reality to see what is that got to do with the topic that we are getting into. Is survival such a big pressure? Is productivity such a big pressure? Wherever we go for corporate uh, engagements, the standard word that I hear is that I'm highly stressed. 
I had a lot of pressures. My bosses had been through. I had to finish this today. There is a cutthroat competition. Otherwise, I'd be finished. I mean, after all, at the end of 70, 80, 90 years, it's uh, with a certainty we can all say, I, I hope. I don't think anyone in this room here can say I'm living for the last 2000 years or so. Is there anyone here for any chance? <laughs> Which means at the end of the day, finally, whenever it happens, we land in that 6 by 3 square or the 7 by 3 square, depending upon what height you have. Why all the struggle is a question which comes up. Then why do we go through all this? On one hand, you also have people chasing for the targets. Let's start from there. You have your own subordinates, your team members, who are pushing to perform under severe amount of pressure, which is partly self-created, partly created by the society, partly created by the family members in terms of the expectation they have on them, and to greatest be created by you as the boss. You push them because if you don't get, if you don't push them, you get pushed by your boss. Who has a boss? Who has a boss? And I have never in my life, in the last 54 years, I have never been able to find who is actually at the end of this thread who is holding, calling as the boss. <laughs> I get to find that person. In case we are found, please let me know. I would like to meet that person. He or she or it, whatever it may be. What do these employees really need for them to consistently scale and become better and better in their jobs? And how does it back to the survival instinct? And how does that survival instinct link back to the topic that we are into today? What would we expect from an employee who has to continuously scale up the organization structure? You want them to be productive. To be more productive, what would you want them to do? You want them to continuously scale up on the talent quotient. Am I right? What we call as core competencies. How does one achieve core competency? If you look at the model which is propagated by C.K. Prella, one of the biggest management authors who went from India, who even today, after several years of his passing, will be spoken of. He speaks about a very simple model where you build core competencies. You initially have what is known as an unconscious incompetency, what is called as a UI. For example, there is a kid who is about one, one and a half years old who gets out of the house, there's a big, let's assume that this family is staying in a big apartment complex and this apartment complex has a small swimming pool. The kid gets out of the house when parents are not there, crawls its way and finds people moving on top of water from one place to another. It doesn't know anything. It thinks that I can also get in and do what they do. It doesn't even know the words to me, it can't get speed. Gets in, somehow gets into the water, what happens to it? It drowns. <coughs> Fortunately, let's say that the kid has been saved by somebody who was alert, it has been brought out. And after six months, when it starts speaking, it still has this fancy for it to go and do what those elders are doing. All along, the kid never knew that it had to know swimming for it to float on water. This is called in CK Prolab model as unconscious incompetency, UI. UI model is when you are ignorant, you are not aware that you are not aware. This is what happens to many of the subordinates when you push down a severe work pressure or a new technology to be learned or a new code to be done or a new framework to be developed. 
and you expose the what happens, it's like it being thrown into the water who doesn't know what swimming is for it to move from one place to another. In which case, you are exposing them to what is known as unconscious incompetency. They don't know that they don't know. They are ignorant. After the kid is able to speak, it expresses its interest to its father that I want to do what Papa, I want to do what others do. What is that? I want to go on working like this. Now Papa tells, if you are the Papa, what will you tell the kid? You will say that you have to know what is called as swimming. Now the kid knows for it to move on top of water like what others do, if he doesn't know it will go down. It has to learn what is called as swimming. From a level of unconscious incompetency, now it has moved to a level that yes, I know I have to know swimming for me to swim across these two points, but I don't know swimming. So you move from unconscious incompetence or UI to what is known as a conscious incompetency. What is a conscious incompetency? I am aware that I am not aware. It's better than I from being not aware to not aware. I am aware that I am not capable of doing this work, what the process when I am being given a task or when you are assigning a task to a subordinate, it is better that at least he is in level 2. I know that I don't know. It's better than I don't know that I don't know. He has no conscious incompetency. If the kid and the parents come onto the same page, that yes, the kid has to learn swimming. Now let's move to calculate balance. It sets what is called as performance measures or goals. What is the goal? Same way that by the age of 10, in under age 10 category, I want you to become maybe a state level swimming champion. Maybe a smart visit. Now what do the family have to do to make the kid to move towards the 10 year uh, under age, uh, under 10 age goal? It has to be put through a learning process of swimming. So now they put it to a coach. When it's learning swimming, what does it do? It's a proper swimming coach will tell you this is the front stroke, this is the back stroke, this is how you have to do, this is the butterfly, this is how you have to flow, this is how you have to hold your breath, this is when, when you go in you have to hold your breath, when you get out you have to leave your breath. All the steps are being taught. How you learn when you learn cycling when you are in, or when you learn your two-wheeler, or when you learn your car. It is going through what is known as a conscious building process of acquiring the knowledge and putting the knowledge into practice. The knowledge just kept in books is of no consequence. I mean that way every library in the world will be learning and earning better than what we do because it has more knowledge than we do. The difference today is that whatever we have learned, whatever extent we are putting into practice has become our expertise and that we are able to convert into a research and earn whatever returns the companies give to us. This process of conscious building of competency is what Mr. Perla called as conscious competency. You put in your efforts to consciously use the knowledge that you have built, which is aligned to your goal, through a consistent exhibition of knowledge into practice, I pick it up as a skill which will allow me to do the task which my management has expected me to do the conscious competency. Today when you drive on Oema, almost you, the moment you get into the car, it's like a GPS. You know where you have to get into, you know where your house is, you know where your office is, you know where to park. To such an extent, you are what is known as an autopilot mode. You don't even think, you don't even know how you are driving. 
happening. Automatically your hand moves, your legs move, automatically happen. And in spite of the law saying you should not speak on the phone, we still managed to do all that and yet reach the office. You have now become what is known in the, the level 3, just to rephrase, is called as conscious competency or CC as they call it. From UI to CI, move to what is known as CC, conscious competency. From conscious competency, you do it so much, it's like now your natural self. You don't need to even remember how to do this specific work. If this is very well understood, it becomes easy for training managers, HR managers, CTOs, CEOs, CFOs. Before you push down a task down the throat of a person, you will know which level of competency is he in for him to take this work, for him to deliver the result that you want him to do on a consistent basis. Is he on a UI? Is he on a CA? Surely, if he is on above CA, then it's much easier. This is why you have the skill matrix, the skill mapping, all those things which happen through the HRP of any company. From conscious competency, because of my expertise of literally doing it, like my, it's, it's almost like my, I can breathe without even having to know, till someone says, okay, hold your breath, then I recall how I breathe and then I hold it. It now moves into what is known as an unconscious competency or your core competence. This is what secret philosophy says, you need core competence. Okay, now we understood the four-step model of how CKPRL connects core competence to the improvement of the organization. But how does it connect back to the survival mode? How does it connect back to the line and DNA story? And where is the human being stepping in? If you look at the human side, why is it that people do not learn that fast? What stops them? I was reading a beautiful article two weeks ago. This author was suggesting that everyone in the world who has ever been born and will ever be born are on the same page as Albert Einstein, Newton Kaiser. You name any great stardust, any great scientist, you name anyone on this world, we are all on the same page. Then why is it different that what Einstein could achieve in his entire lifetime, we have hardly even scratched the surface having that kind of a capability. What are the difference? Then he further, this is based on several years of research, eh? though it's a single article, based on several years of research. Then he says that all human beings are born with the same heart. We all have the same heart. The brain for all of us is wired for us to become an Einstein and an Isaac Newton or anyone else you can name. If it's an art, maybe a Mozart or Eva Cousin or if it's an acting, any anyone of your choice. Depends on your age group and your taste and all that. Yet, why is that you are unable to do? Since you are all from technology line, you know that for any hardware to work efficiently, what is it that you need? You need good software. And this is the software which, unfortunately, people are never taught how to build. They are given software, but they are not taught how to acquire software. It's like I buy ready-made Windows and install. I buy ready-made Mac and install. OS. It works. But how do I write my own code? How do I build my own operating system? How do I write my own apps on top? 
This is where the biggest challenge comes for this current generation or any generation or any generation which is going to come. He then gives two very important tools which is what is going to help me correct back this story to the line and dear story of the beginning and then take it to a logical conclusion of what we need to do today. He says the only two things which are needed for you to write your own software. The first one he says is for several generations we have lost our ability to ask questions. We don't ask questions. Not the regular day-to-day -day question, what's the number today, how much did you close, those questions are repetitive questions. Every question that you ask once must be replaced with a question of a higher level of questioning which will expand your consciousness. Consciousness being the state of being, state of awareness. It has to allow you to expand your level of consciousness. For that we have to ask questions. Thankfully, in the last 15-20 years of internet and information explosion, all that information that you can ever want for any question that you have in your mind, right from exploding an atomic bomb in your bedroom, is available on the net. It's only that we don't know what to search for. If my hardware <coughs> is continuously programmed with my ability to ask the right set of questions, the questions can be anything, it can be related to art, it can be related to science, it can be related to personal behavior, it can be related to leadership, it can be related to work-life balance, whatever it may be. Your ability to ask the right questions. And the second, he says, is our inability to introspect. The biggest challenge today humans have is, in a busy schedule, unless you have been taught by someone, Unless you have been forced by a coach, which I do for many organizations, you do not today have time to sit and look within yourself and introspect. When I say it's not you, everyone in the world. We don't have the time because we have lost the art of introspection because we do not know how to introspect. Organizations don't teach you how to introspect. Organizations don't teach you how to ask questions. They only say do, 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 do. What will I do? When my weapon is already completely in a state of mess where the edges have lost its sharpness and you ask me to continuously cut wood, I will only break my tool. I will not be able to cut wood. And to cut further wood, I need to sharpen the axe. To sharpen the axe, which is your software, to reprogram your hardware, you will have to need these two abilities, which is your ability to question and your ability to introspect and introspection is something that you are going to learn today how to look within how to look within without having external distractions looking within with distraction is different looking within without distraction is different okay so it brings us back to the competency model to build on my competency i need to rewrite my software knowing what my goal is or knowing not what my goal is, abstractly. For this I need to have two tools, questioning and introspection. Why is it these two important elements lost to generations and generations as the author says? Because 
of the same channel what the line and the near faces. What is the channel, the line and the near faces? Survey. What is the corporate general you face on a day-to-day -day basis? Survey. When the survival takes over, you do not have time to hit the pause button to spend time on asking questions or to introspect. How do I compare an animal behavior to a human behavior? Somebody might object. How can you say that I am on a survival mode? It may be interesting to know that almost 99.99% of the time we are on a perennial survival mode. I'll come to that on in just a few seconds. Till such time we know that, okay, now we are moving into a little bit of an unconscious incompetency mode. If you already heard it, Fine, you are either in a conscious incompetency mode or you are moving into CC mode already if you are doing something about it. Hence, what I am going to share in the next 5 to 10 minutes might apparently be in a UI. There is a huge similarity between an animal and a human. If you look at humans' growth, if you have great books on anthropology, you will see how we have grown. They have grown from the same jungle where all these animals have coexisted with us. Man was once living in caves. If I might do this sound right now, how many of you like this sound? Anyone who loves this sound? Does it make you a little bit irritated? Why is it so? And what did I do? And other than maybe I didn't do a scratch, I just cut my nails in the lot. Just I found it difficult to make the noise. Yet that noise generated some kind of a irritation in you. Why should it? Can anyone give me a logical answer? Because there is no logic, no? <clears throat> Yet it irritated for a moment. This irritation comes out of your survival instinct. When I mentioned that you used to live in caves, we used to live in caves, we were more than 10, 20, 30, 1000 years ago, we were not the species that we are today. We were not on top, 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 top of the hierarchy. We were somewhere in between. We were the hunter, we were not the hunters. We were the ones who had to protect. Those days, Anthropologists say the average human life existence was about 25 to 26 years. And 95% of the death was caused by being eaten by a carnivore. It's not that we are not capable of living longer. We are just killed. That's all. When you are on a cave, when you are, for example, either hiding or sleeping, the noise that irritated you right now is the noise that you hear when you have a carnivore running on the rocks to come at you. This has been DNA-wise genetically decoded, put into your DNA more than a million years ago. You don't have a choice, it's still there. If you are a software programmer, you will all know that when you go on a programming mode, when your program improves and your program has been rewritten, would you still keep your old junk code as part of the program? Would you still keep? Or would you purge it? Which one would you do? Purge. If you knew that it won't hurt the logic, you would 
becomes an additional burden while execution. Unfortunately, we are not in a position because we don't know it is junk code. It may not be junk code also. The jury is still out, as they say. Yet, we are carrying it and then processing everything through this small window. This noise is just one small example. What does this noise got to do with corporate growth of building our capability to the line and gear story and to whatever I want to say next? If you look at how we were coded genetically those days, if you look at the growth of human beings, till about maybe 30, 40,000 years ago, the only thing that we had at the end of our spine was something called as a primordial brain, just so small, almost non-existent, compared to our current size of the brain. And this primordial's brain's work was only to help you to survive. In any attack situation, the only option that you have is either to fight or to fly away. Even in today's situation, it's quite simple. When you get angry, just observe yourself. If you are, when you get angry with your subordinate or with your spouse, if you have a choice, that of getting angry. If you get angry, just observe yourself. If your blood flow is moving to your hands and your hands are shaking, which means you are ready to take that other person on. Which means you are ready to hit. That's called as a fight mode. <coughs> While you are interacting with someone and you get angry and your legs start shivering, it means you want to run away from that cushion. Your body is telling you you are not fit, you are not fit enough to take the other person, please run away. It is a base on which we have been built for thousands and thousands of years. We are hard-coded. The moment we see an animal, Quickly, in less than a few nanoseconds, we are able to process, that is thanks to the primordial brain, to know whether am I the prey or is it the prey. If it is the prey, I run after it because I need to eat. If I am the prey, what do I do? I start it. This is why I have to separate. And the primordial brain was to allow you to react, not respond, react even when you are asleep. That's when a mosquito bites, even today the primordial brain takes a what do you do? You don't even in the morning you look at your shirt, you find there is a spot of blood and you know that, oh, maybe. It happens. The primordial brain is to allow you a 24 7, 360 days throughout your life survival mode so that it's again chemistry. Very simple blood chemistry. When the blood is pushed through the spine, to the respective organs, which first controlled by the primordial brain, which today in modern language you have a name for it called as amygdala. E-A-Y-G-D-A-L-A. Today is a popular research item across all kind of things. It immediately decides whether this is a survival situation or a non-survival situation. If it is a survival situation, what does it do? Immediately it freezes the blood, just to take a small detail, over a period of last 10, 20,000 years, on top of this primordial brain, you had the growth of the limbic brain, which started growing about, and then you had the cortex and the neocortex. The cortex and the neocortex, the longer this area is, you know the person can think better than you do. 
when you meet somebody else, first look for this area. This is slightly bigger than yours, he may be a better thinker than you in all possibilities. So, gauge your boss accordingly. <laughs> Cortex and neocortex. In the neocortex, the bigger it is, that person has expanded his consciousness and his ability to use his hardware better using the software that he has used to configure. At this point of time, the left brain or the right brain, where either the logical thinking or the creative thinking happens, the primordial brain, when it activates, it cuts the blood supply off to the brain portion beyond it. Which means, the famous statement, all decisions are made emotionally and then justified logically, hence you know why it is true. On your way back today, you find a shirt for 1800 bucks. Lovely, great. I feel good. I buy it. On your way back home, what is running ahead? How to justify to my spouse why I bought this shirt? It is a human mechanism meant to protect you, but not to justify everything you do. Yet that's what happens. Because when the blood supply goes there, automatically we take an action which perpetuates our survival instinct. I speak to someone with whom I feel comfortable. Why? Because he allows me to feel safe in his presence. I don't like this person. Why? Because in his presence I feel annihilated. I feel I am going to be finished off. I am going to be finished. That's why many organizations they don't like HR. <laughs> because they see HR as a person going to give the, cut the pace, you know, give the pinch along or give the termination letter or, or maybe give an increment. Hence, every situation unfortunately the first reaction comes from your primordial brain, it takes over and then immediately it stops the blood supply. So it's actually it's not your problem. It's a multiple personality disorder inbuilt into you at birth. So you can safely say this is what I do. Because after the decision is made and executed, the blood supply goes down and then the blood goes back to the logical and right side brain. The creative brain starts giving you all kind of superb reasons as to why you bought. The logical reason brain gives you the reasons as to why this is cost effective, why this is a great investment, why blah blah blah. You put it together and present a superb, nice, logical presentation as to why you did what you did. Or why you did what you want to do or why you want to do what you decided to do. As they say in HR parlance, the hire happens in less than one minute. The next 40 minutes is to justify whether this hire is right or wrong. That's all. I've sat through enough HR parents. The hire happens. The moment the person walks and sits in front of me, even before he opens his mouth, in all probability I made up him. Unfair to him, but that's how human psyche works. I made up my next 35 to 40 minutes, I'm allowing my logical brain to justify whether I'm right or wrong. I want some data because I'm fossilless. I put all that together. Because of this hard wiring, learning becomes extremely impossible because the subordinate who you want to continuously scale up on the corporate uh, ladder is not allowed either to ask questions because asking questions, what is the first sign? Asking question means he is rebellious. Don't ask, just do. Standard phrase that I heard in all boardroom meetings as I to all CEO meetings as I have to just do as I say. Don't ask questions. 
right from a childhood we have been taught like that. Our parents used to say, our society used to say, our teachers used to say, don't ask questions, and then stand up on the bench. All these things we are taught to. And we have lost the art of question because if I ask a question, what happens? My survival goes off. So what is the best way? Be safe, don't ask questions. And in that process, we have lost the ability to introspect because when you introspect, it tells you, please ask a question. You cannot ask a question. Now let's not take it back to the line and dear story. Is all corporate work related only to survival? Or no? Yes or no? Partial. Technically speaking, in my view, 99.99% of the time, no. It doesn't have to be. It's all about growth, it's all about inclusion, it's all about collaboration, it's all about compassion, it's all about getting people together. We all know in this world that nothing can ever be done by one single individual. We need a team together. Yet when the team comes together, what does that we do? The survival needs to come out. Let me come back one minute to this and then go back and connect back to the topic that we came to speak about. When the survival instinct, primordial instinct is the main instinct which is running in your head, it first manifests at a very base level as a survival instinct, where you tend to either fight or you run away. At a refined level, leadership level, as we grow, this survival instinct gets embedded in you as power. What do you see predominantly in many organizations? I have seen some of the best organizations where there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people working. A small organization where just 500 people working. All the key decisions go and rest with one or two people at the top. You are free to decide when to go for tea break, you are free to decide when to have your lunch, you are free even to decide what to eat lunch, but today afternoon better for instance. Which means everything is ideally ordered. Which means I keep that power because that power which I hold back makes me feel good, makes me feel comfortable, makes me feel secure. But it's also in the process when you deploy a knife, there's a famous saying, your end might also come through a knife. When the other person gets the power, they start giving it back, hence it becomes a power game. Let's look at the other end. If you move away from survival instinct, what do you have to do? This survival instinct, as I mentioned, comes from your primordial brain. The primordial brain is also called as your emotive brain. Your emotive brain. Unfortunately or fortunately for us, maybe fortunately for us, a root of the emotion is what you call as feeling. Emotion, what others see is the smoke. The feeling is the real fire. The feeling which generates that emotions, unfortunately for many of us, has all along been absent but sitting at a different place in your physiology called as the human heart. Scientifically, it has been found that the real feelings generate from the heart. That's why we call a person cold hearted person warm-hearted person. All that comes, you don't say no. cold-minded person, you say cold-hearted person, warm-hearted person. When I see him, I feel good. 
because I see something in her. It's not a physical art, but what you can technically call as the area is what you call as the art, is where scientifically and spiritually they form actually the feelings generate. When feelings take over, the true feeling, in many of the leadership sessions, either I have taken or I have attended, at the highest level they say, if you want your business to build further, build trust and respect with your people. Trust when they can trust in you fully. I have given a life for this person. He is such a leader, I give a life to him. I respect him because he respects whatever happens, he listen to whatever I am saying. I can go and talk to him, call him whatever nonsense I want, yet he will not get angry with what I say, but he can pick up the substance. Because communication, they say, 10% is data, 90% is feeling. And because we run after the 10% data all the time, what happens is we leave the 90% feeling. When someone, for example, HR has counseling, when someone is talking to you, they are giving you data, they did this, they did this, they did this. What are they finally saying? I am upset. I am angry. I feel insecure. I feel insulted. That's all. The rest is all blah blah data. If you are able to catch the feeling of the person in any conversation, even if it's a customer, why does a customer finally continue with you or come to you? They feel secure in your person. Secure, being secure is a feeling. I feel happy is a feeling. If I am able to understand that, I can do it, but unfortunately in today's world, we are told to understand emotions. We have never been taught to understand feelings. Because we don't, we have been looking all along at the wrong place. It's like I, if I lose something here, would I go and search for it elsewhere? I'll come back and search here, where I lost it. The same way, if you have to look for a feeling in a specific place, what do you have to do? I have to have uh, ability to go within my heart and find what my feeling says to connect to my inner self. Once you develop the heart, why have people lost this? Because one, there is a connect between the mind and the heart. One of the biggest quality people say for leaders that you need is your ability to listen. How many here can say with certainty that I am a certified listener? I am the listener in the world. I mean, anyone can vouch for that. Impossible. Recently, I wrote a small, I daily write a lot of original traditions under my name. I wrote in one of them saying, either we are talking or while others are talking, we are deceived. Getting ready, you want to talk next. Then we are actually never listening. Either I am talking, or when somebody is talking to me, I am already phrasing my response. Oh, it is not. Mind is running. Actually, you are never spending any time on this. Talking or getting ready to talk. The only two steps for any, many executives are. True listening can happen when there are two things that have to take place in any leader. First, the ability to still the mind. When someone is talking, mind needs to be so still that the, whatever the person says sort of amplifies by itself and it comes in, it's like it comes in droves as they say. 
which is multiplies itself unless you still your mind because when you are not still here when your mind is not still you will not be able to listen to what the other person say 90% of what the other person saying being feel the second quality that is essential for anyone to listen is to suspend prejudice when i am talking to someone or when you are talking to me i am always seeing through you set of filters formed based on my past experience either with you or about you oh he has come in the toilet oh he is so he is so we all have very it makes a job easy we straight jacket everybody and put them in multiple slots and decide even before they come this is what you are going to say this is how you are going to say this is how you will be saying i know what you are going to say which means it's like just compare the scenario you walk into a court you just find a petition you have to give it the judge looks at you say stayed with the three years imprisonment for you will be a fact it no no from your face i know you are a criminal sir i am not even spoken it no 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 your face tells i have seen enough people like it's not you are not going to hurt me which means that cannot be a prejudice when you are judging prejudice means prejudice before passing a judgment you really need to listen to a case if these two things don't happen you cannot call yourself a listener for these two things to happen stillness of the mind cannot happen till you learn to control and subside you are thinking and making it calm bring it up not easy and to leave prejudice out you need to work from feeling when a mother holds a child any amount of time the child would have made the same mistake before yet when it comes to the 21st the 22nd 23rd time the mother still looks at the person the same way as she looked when it made the first mistake if it is possible for a mother it is possible for each one of us because we have it in us for us to get into that level we need to connect to our inside and find how does this person feel when he is talking to me for that i cannot have prejudice about what has happened in the past and i need to completely still my mind these qualities today are being formed in abundance through the process of meditation they were on what our meditation i am going to teach you go and do a search on meditation effect of meditation on amygdala just do this global search on google you will find today that meditation has been formed to bring down the reaction mode of amygdala even in a catastrophic situation there is a famous statement i read Many of you may not agree, but I found a lot of substance in that statement. Even a life and death situation is not life and death situation. If you really see it that way, it has happened long ago. It is just unfolding in front of you. If someone has a heart attack today, which may be life and death situation. It is caused over 10, 20, 30 years of negligence. A life and death situation then apparently is the only time when an amygdala. can be allowed to overtake your normal thinking actually normally rarely in your last 30 40 50 years of your life depending upon the age in this room how many times have you faced a life and death situation 1 2 3 one single hand count right cannot be more than this someone has survived survived this you would be writing a lot of books 
I climbed Mount Everest three times as a boat fall. Then you write a book on that. I went here, I went into deep sea. I you can write a book. Nothing has happened. Then why do you exhibit Amitabh almost 2,000 times a day? Every situation is a surviving state for us. When someone takes a bottle of water in front of me, I feel threatened because this is a territory of mine. Animal territory. This is my territory. He is taking a bottle. He didn't even tell me. I feel. Why did he take a bottle? Give it up. Happens or not? If you are very polite, you just give it a little. Swallow it a little bit. Then let it go. It's okay, courtesy. You don't know what to do. This is something that has been triggering us so much because the chemical reaction once said, it is said that once amygdala is triggered, depending upon the human being's physiology, it takes between one one half minutes to about 45 minutes for amygdala to slow down, depending upon your physiology. And during that time, you remain agitated. During that time, that's why many of the experts have told us, during the leadership session, they'll tell you, when under emotion, don't talk. When under emotion, don't listen. Two things, we always find a way to circumvent. In fact, we talk the most when we are angry, we shout the most when we are angry, and we decide the maximum when we feel depressed or when we feel angry. That's why we are right now. Recently, I am going through a leadership uh, lecture. The person beautifully said, Ramayana wouldn't have happened if Dasaratha had kept his mouth shut to Kaikeyi on that day when she put her hand into the chariot wheel. He had taken two boons right now. He would have said, you've done a great job, wait for today, they'll tell you what I'm doing. That's all, period. One led to another, one led to another, one led to another, one led to another. And then the one idiot of a dobi comes and tells you, your wife is not changed, and what do you do? Go to forest. You can tell the dobi, I am putting a committee to look into it. Just take two days, I will chill out, I will work it out. If you allow your amygdala to slow down, anywhere between two to five minutes, that's what scientists say. Two minutes, one to two minutes for people are seasoned, five minutes for people are who go around you know, all the time, agitated, takes time, but yet at some point I will come back. Then, the worst of the decisions that you are taking in life have been taken when your amygdala was on its peak. Allow it to calm down. And for it to be calming down, the only way for you to learn is how to regulate it through turning the external attention to inside of you. We have several concepts and techniques for that. As you progress in this path of meditation, you learn how to do spot meditation, you learn how to do spot meditation, you learn how to turn inward at any moment. Just give me one split second. Even in the peak of traffic, I can just close my eyes, I can be lost inside myself in no time. Takes time, three months, six months, one year, depending upon the level of practice and the intensity, the intention that you have, the purpose that you have, you will learn. It's not rocket science. Even rocket science today is not rocket science. So if you really look within, come, coming back to where I started off, the line in DS2. Everything finally boils down to the other person. If he is happy, he will perform better for me. There is a famous quotation I read, if you connect to that, come back to the end and then close. People don't care how much you know, till they know how much you care. Let me repeat it. People don't care how much you know, till they know how much you care. I don't care if my boss is knowledgeable or not. I care if my boss knows what I know. 
and a true leader as you go up the corporate ladder, you have 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people working under you, you are responsible for what happens to them. At some point of time, up to about say between 5 and 10 years, your technical learning can almost come to a standstill. No challenge. You will keep growing your organization. That's all. But if your leadership ability to manage people is hitting a plateau or going down to a finish, your ability to manage people comes by your ability to understand them, be compassionate, take them in in spite of their faults. Nobody is perfect. I am not perfect, surely. I know for sure. I may be presenting myself well externally. I know what my internal challenges are. I haven't moved to that level of purity where I can say, I can take some Kibudi and throw out it's not it there. Yet, I haven't come from a level where the impurities are much, much, much grosser to a level which it's much lighter. I can say with certainty that over a period of time, it's quite easy to just turn your gaze from your side to the other side. What is the line I've learned to begin with? They could coexist, right? The line and the beer. Not a big deal. I mean, it's possible. Technically, anything is possible. It takes about three generations for genetics or DNA to decode and mutate and change as they say. DNA mutation is a big topic. Maybe at some point of time in the future it's possible it does. Connecting back to the topic, if people have to be felt that they are going to be kept, when people know that you are a person of a great listener, I can go and open up to him, talk to him, come out without having to feel being vindicated later. Tomorrow he will not take you with. He's a great listener. He will understand how I feel. Then I know with certainty that you are a great leader. Today, great leaders, the biggest competency they want is emotional intelligence, ability to listen, ability to be compassionate, ability to collaborate, ability to nurture talent. These are some of the DNA that many organizations have designed and defined and run. For that to happen, first you have to learn how to slow down. Change your focus from mind-based thinking to feeling-based thinking. Once you start doing that, you start understanding the real secrets which you have never learned before. The questions that you need to learn to tune your heart where you come from within. Your ability to introspect that you need to do, you'll be able to tune from within. And all that, once it starts, you go on autopilot mode. You can keep on experimenting. As Swami Vivekananda said, with which I close, he said that the internal universe that is present inside you is millions and millions and millions of times larger and bigger than the external universe that you see. And for us to go ahead and watch that, it doesn't take too long. About 30 minutes of investment. This is what Heartfulness Institute does. We have presence in more than 131 countries today. More than 4 to 5 million people practice the kind of meditation. This is not the only solution, no. But this is one of the solutions. Like the way you have allopathy and homeopathy or whatever, the idea is total health care. Whatever can help you to move towards the next notch of leadership, see what you can do. With this, I close right now. I'll play a short video which will run for about four and a half minutes for Carl Sagan's voice. A great video which will set the context, after which I'll hand over the floor back to the team. Thanks a lot. Thanks for being here. Taking, I took 48 minutes, 3 minutes extra. I hope it's okay. Thanks a lot. Bye.